Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I can remember a time in my life when this was the word of the Lord to me. But listen to what it says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is that an amazing promise? That is such a glorious promise. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapter 41 through chapter 42, verse 9. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so here we are with our Through the Bible study, and we're in Isaiah chapter 41. So if you have your Bible, you want to open up to Isaiah 41. That is where we're going to start. All right, so here we are in Isaiah. We're picking up in chapter 41, as I mentioned. And let me just remind you, some of you have been with us through our study in Isaiah, and maybe some of you are tuning in for the first time. I want to welcome you to that. Here in the the 40s of Isaiah, so we did chapter 40 last week and picking up in 40 here, in the 40s, you have a a different kind of prophecy than you had in the previous 39 chapters. So in chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah is prophesying to his generation, and the context is the Assyrian threat against Judah. And then uh, at the end of chapter 38, 39, the, the Assyrians are defeated and their empire begins to weaken. And then when we come to the 40s, we're actually, as far as the time frame goes, we're projecting out a couple hundred years because at this time, Babylon is not even a world power at this point, but they're going to rise in time and they are going to come and they're going to conquer Jerusalem, and they're going to lead the nation of Judah into a 70-year captivity. And so these prophecies of Isaiah, they are prophecies that pertain to them during the captivity. They're, they're basically promises and words of encouragement. They're explanations for why they're there, uh, why God judged them. But they're promises for deliverance And even as we look at some of the verses, we're going to come to even beyond the Babylonian Empire, we're going to come to the Persian Empire because we're going to see the prophecies beginning to unfold about Cyrus. Cyrus, the Persian king, who will actually be mentioned by name here in a few chapters, but he's going to be, some of his activities are going to be described. So all that to say, just know that this is a projection. So Isaiah is speaking in his generation, but he's talking about things that are out in the distant future. And as we pointed out in going through the prophecy, sometimes the prophecies would be fulfilled in in the near future. And then sometimes they would have a very distant fulfillment. Oftentimes they would have both. Oftentimes there would be a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. But sometimes there would be actually two or three fulfillments. There was the near, and then one a bit further, and then another one. And then often in Isaiah especially, you have prophecies that are coming down to our current time and beyond, actually. They're 
really aren't any Isaiah prophecies that deal with the present moment, but there are Isaiah prophecies that deal with the future from where we stand today. So, and as we come across those, I'll try to make it clear to us um, where the fulfillment maybe was and where it will be in the future. So let's go ahead and pick up in chapter 41. And so here, remember Isaiah is speaking for the Lord. He says, keep silence before me, O coastlands. Now coastlands, this could be a reference to, to the coastal region. It probably could be a reference to islands as well. And so keep silence before me, the Lord says, let the people renew their strength, let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Now, here's our first reference to Cyrus. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as dust to his sword and driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. So again, Isaiah is projecting out into the future, but he's prophesying the coming of Cyrus. And, and, and then as you know, God is speaking through Isaiah, so the Lord is asking these questions like, who gave the nations before him? Who made him the rule? Who gave them as dust to his sword and driven stubble to his bow? And then the Lord says, I did it. And, and this is just a reminder to us that God is sovereign over the nations. That, that's a claim that you find all throughout scripture. And when we say sovereign, that means that God ultimately rules over the nations. So Cyrus, of course, in his generation, in his day, especially initially, he figured that it was just his greatness, his prowess, his strategizing. Uh, he was a great military strategist. He attributed his strength and his power and his ability to conquer. He attributed that all to himself. And yet the Lord says, no, actually it was me allowing that. It was me using you for my greater purpose. And whether it was Cyrus in those days or somebody in the current time, it's good to remember that God is sovereign over the nations. And so he continues on in verse five, the coastland saw it and feared, the ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came, everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith he who smooths with the hammer inspired the one who strikes the anvil, saying, it is ready for the welding. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. So what he's describing here is the response of the Babylonians to the Persian invasion. And what did they do? They turned to their idols. So they turned to their idols. They, made, they fashioned new idols. But of course, their idols were not able to defend them against Cyrus. But now, contrasted with them, verse 8, the Lord says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. 
And now verse 10 is such a fantastic verse. And, and the immediate context is that God is speaking this to the nation of Judah in their future. But I want to add to this that this is a wonderful promise that God has given to many of his servants throughout the generations. And uh, I can remember a time in my life when this was the word of the Lord to me. But listen to what it says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is that an amazing promise? That is such a glorious promise. And something that we need to realize when we read through the scriptures and when we study them is, of course, these were written at a time in history and they were written for for that time. But like I've already said, there's a prophetic element. So it would, it would have reference to another time as well, a later date. But then there's also the personal element in it. And this is where I, I want to encourage you to not be afraid to take to yourself, as the Holy Spirit would impress them on you, to take the promises of God to yourself because that is perfectly legitimate. Now, some people say, oh no, you know, you can't do that. This was written, this is written to the nation of Judah and this is really just specifically for them. So when it says, fear not, I am with you, that applies to them, but you know, you can't take that for yourself today. I disagree. I think that you can. And God has given us the scriptures and he expects us to draw comfort and encouragement and hope and strength from them. And the way we do that is by embracing them, by receiving them. So as I said, there was a season in my life, and, and I remember going through a, a very dark period at a certain time in my life, and the latter part of the ninth verse just spoke volumes to me. You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. The reason why that spoke so powerfully to me is because I felt like God had cast me away. Now, looking back now, there wasn't anything that was rational about that feeling. It wasn't because I had done anything particularly that I would think would result in God casting me away. But it, it just seemed abandoned by the Lord like I had been cast away. And I remember as I read through this passage and I just felt the Lord reassuring me that he was with me. And then of course, going on into verse 10, to not be afraid, to not be dismayed because that promise of God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So these are the promises of scripture that we, uh, the people of God today can lay hold of. And I, I want you to be encouraged to do that. The, the people who received these promises are long gone. They're long gone off the scene. And these now are applicable and they minister to and speak to the people of God today. In every generation, that generation of people are the people of God in the world and the scriptures are written for our benefit. And as I've quoted before, Paul reminds us of that in Romans 15, verse 4. So, but let's go on and see what he says in verse 11. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. Now, remember, in the immediate context, Judah is in captivity. And they have, of course, been conquered by the Babylonians. 
and they're living now as a conquered people. But all of those who were incensed against you, speaking of the Babylonians, they shall be ashamed and disgraced. And then in verse 12, you shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing as a non-existent thing. So God is saying to the people at that time that those who are their adversaries, those who are their foes, God is going to deliver them. He's going to rid them to the extent that it will be as though they didn't even exist. They are a non-existent thing. And then verse 13 is very similar to verse 10. For I, the Lord, your God, will hold your right hand saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Again, another beautiful promise. And notice what God says. God says, I will hold your hand. God doesn't say, you hold my hand, because of course, there's the possibility of me staying connected to God is based on me holding on to God. My, my grasp can give way and I could lose my grip quite easily. But here's one thing we can all be assured of. God will never lose his grip on you. He's got a death grip on you in the best sense of that uh, term because of his love. It's like when a a parent or a grandparent takes their uh, small child by the hand to cross a street. You know, I've crossed the street many times with my children when they were young and, and many times with my grandchildren now. And, you know, I never say to them, here, hold on to grandpa's hand. Make sure you don't let go because if you do, you know, you could get hit by a car. I, I don't even bring that up as uh, a point of discussion. I just grab them with a death grip and say, come on, let's go. Let's cross the street. And there's no way I'm going to let them go. And you know what? The Lord says he's got a hold of us with his righteous right hand. Now, one other thing I've got to say about verse 13 that's somewhat personal, but it's not personal to me. It's personal to my wife. My wife was telling me, and I've known for years that this has been one of her favorite verses. And one of the reasons why it is, it's the first verse she ever learned. And I remember even when we were newly married, I remember her quoting this verse to me. But she learned this verse and I asked her, I said, honey, so how old were you when you learned it? She said, I was under five years old. And she said, actually, I learned the verse before I could read. And the reason she learned it is because it was on a little plaque on her wall. And her dad read it to her and taught it to her. And she memorized it. And then she, of course, learned to read a little bit later. But I think, wow, what a wonderful thing for a five-year-old to know. Think about that again what the Lord says here. I, the Lord, your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And you know, whether you're five or 25 or 55 or 85, that fear not word is a word that we all need, right? And it's a, it's a word that we need today. So he goes on, fear not, you worm, Jacob. Now, when God speaks of Jacob as a worm, a worm is you know, the most helpless of creatures. I mean, what, what can a worm do, right? You just step on it and crush it and there's, there's nothing it can do about it. And this is how Jacob perceives himself at this point, that he's utterly helpless. He's utterly incapable of doing anything for himself. And yet the Lord says, to fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord, 
and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And now look what he says in verse 15. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them. The wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. So God says to them, I'm going to make you into a new threshing sledge. And a threshing sledge was an instrument that would thresh the grain. It was a harvesting tool, basically, is what it was. And so God is saying to the nation that is in captivity, that is under the heel of the Babylonians, they can't see that there's any possibility that their circumstances are ever really going to change. God says, not only are you going to be liberated from this captivity, I am going to make you into an instrument that I'm going to use for my glory. And so what, again, what a great promise. Now, at the risk of getting too personal, I don't want to get too personal here, but again, this is one of those strange passages that God spoke into my life many, many years ago. I still have the Bible uh, that I had back then, probably now over 30 years ago. And if I would have thought about it, I would have brought that Bible because I have pinned in the margin of the Bible the date when God gave me this as a promise. Now, this, this is such a strange promise, right? And to me, it was so strange when the Lord gave it to me. But again, I was in a, I was in a place in my life where I was very ill and it was just a, a struggle to get by from day to day. And I remember being at a point where I was almost despairing. I just, I just felt like I can't, I can't keep going on like this. I don't know if I can go on another day. And, and I remember I was alone. I was in um, my office at the time. I had an office that was kind of isolated from the, the rest of the church. And I was there by myself in my office. And I remember um, having an amazing experience of the presence of the Lord uh, filling my, room, my office. I mean, I just, I literally felt like Jesus walked into the room and showed me verse 15 of chapter 41. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. Now, I knew the presence of the Lord was there and I knew the Lord was showing me this word, but this was such a strange word. I didn't even know what it meant. And, and yet it brought this strange sense of comfort to me. And I remember later thinking how that had to be God because, so I am a stickler for the context of scripture. I don't like to take things out of context. I want, I want to see them in their context. I want to apply them in their context. And I recognize that sometimes, you know, God does allow us to do that. But, but I'm really the person who's going to, I'm, I'm going to first and foremost stick with the context. So I look at this and I think, well, first of all, it's such a, a strange verse, make you into a new threshing sledge. Secondly, it, it applies to Israel. But I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was something that God had put on my heart. And, and part of it was I knew that I would never in a million years think to apply this verse to myself. I didn't even know what it meant. But, but again, the context wouldn't allow for me to do that. But I knew the Lord had given it to me. And now all of that to say, without going into any further detail, 
From that day to this day, I have seen, because the Lord showed me what it meant, and I have seen this word fulfilled uh, in my life over and over a number of times. And, and I've even had times where I have been perplexed about my circumstances, and this word would come back to me as the, the answer to my perplexity. The Lord would remind me, I told you this, and this is what is happening here. That word, Isaiah 41, 15, is the explanation for this current situation. So again, I'm saying that uh, mainly because I really want to drive home and encourage you to receive the promises of God as he, as he gives them. And like I said, this was a, an extraordinary moment in my life. I mean, it's been so many years now, and I can remember it like it was yesterday because it was so profound. And, and we will have those times in our lives as the people of God. We have a relationship with the living God. And just like he met the prophets and he met Moses and he met the saints of old, uh, he meets with us in our lives as well at times during certain seasons. And he speaks powerful things into our lives. And so he goes on and in verse 17, and, and again, here we're looking at the, the future promises of blessing but I, I connect these two to one another. God's going to take Israel. He's going to make them into this new threshing sledge. And then as a result of that, he says, the poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. This is the current condition. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia tree, the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together. And so what is God promising? He's promising that he's going to turn the wasted, desolate desert land into a lush, beautiful, green, forested area. And of course, he's speaking poetically here. So he's talking about renewing the lives of his people, taking people from a place of, of barrenness and dryness and desolation to a place of fruitfulness, a place of, of blessing and, and prosperity and those things. And it's the promise that God has given. I love that picture there of opening rivers in the desolate heights and making the wilderness a pool of water. And you know, just if you've, if you've ever been to the Middle East, if you've ever been uh, around that area there in Israel, you will know that a pool of water is a very refreshing thing in that land. And so he goes on in verse 20, and he says that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. So this is a promise again, God's gonna renew his people in the future and he's gonna bless them. But I think too, there's something that we can apply to our situation. And this is a picture of going from a dry and barren and desolate state to uh, a place of flourishing.
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. How can we understand some of the most important concepts in the Bible? And how can those concepts make a practical impact on our lives? In his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, Dr. Nijay Gupta traces 15 words through the Bible that make an impact on how we live the Christian life. Words like righteousness, faith, and holiness. You'll learn their Old Testament background, discover their relevance during New Testament times, make connections with other passages in the Bible, and realize their practical impact for living life today. This book will help to bring theology to life. If you want to see how some of the most important theological themes in the Bible can come to life for you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.